right, it's good to see everyone today. Good to have our kiddos in here uh, today and uh, kind of going to continue what we talked about Memorial Day weekend when we had the kids in here, uh, talking about worth and looking at David's life. So if you remember Memorial Day weekend, you know, we looked at David's life and you come upon him in 1 Samuel 17 and he has an amazing worth about him as he heads to face a giant Goliath in his life. Many of you are familiar with that story. But we step back and kind of look at where in the world did David get his worth leading up to 1 Samuel 17? Because it definitely um, wasn't his friends or the number of friends he had on social media or uh, his job status. He's a shepherd. It's not his economic status because you look at uh, his family. It definitely was a poor to middle class, if that, family. Um, it's not his, uh, I guess you'd say, his family status. He's the youngest of eight brothers. And of course, according to the Jewish culture, the oldest brother gets everything and everybody else in line. So he's eighth in line. And so you just step back and say, where in the world does David come on 1 Samuel 17 and have the confidence and the worth to go against that giant Goliath? Well, you have to go back and we looked at it. You know, it was the time we believed that he was in the fields as a shepherd. He drew close to God. Uh, You can see his love for his word, and we'll see a little bit more of that today. We'll see his heart for music And we see these little victories that he has all through his life with, before he comes to Goliath, he always talks about the lions and the bears that he has killed in the past. So today though, we're going to shift and kind of look at the rest of 1 Samuel, kind of 18 through 31, because I want us to think about how do we maintain our worth when things aren't going well, when you're in the wilderness, when you're wondering what's going on and you ask God what's going on. And so um, first thing I want to do is do a little summary of, of what we talked about before. I don't know, as a parent, if you don't know this website, you ought to know it. It's called Bible Project. And I wanted you to see a video that kind of leads up. But even as an adult, this is a great way to learn the Bible. So watch this video as we kind of get into get ready for 18. And so Saul's downfall begins, as God at the same time is working behind the scenes to raise up that new king. It's an insignificant shepherd boy named David. He's the least likely candidate to be king, but the famous story of David and Goliath shows that God's choice of David is not based on his family status, but simply on his radical and humble trust in the God of Israel. And so this story embodies all of the themes of Hannah's poem. Proud Saul and Goliath are brought low, while humble David is exalted. From here, we watch Saul slowly descend into madness, while David rises to power. So David starts working for Saul as a general, and he's winning all of the battles, and he's also winning all of the fame. And so Saul gets jealous, and he starts chasing David around, hunting him, trying to kill him. David's done nothing wrong. And so David simply runs and waits in the wilderness. And here we see David's true character. He has multiple opportunities to kill Saul, but he doesn't. He simply trusts that despite Saul's evil, God will raise up a king for his people. How many of you have seen that before? Know that website? Yes, many of you. I'd say that is a great resource for you as a parent 
watch watch, uh, Bible stories and get familiar with them. One thing I want us to do today is if you have your Bible or definitely I'm going to use my app on my phone, um, we're going to go back a lot between 1 Samuel and go between 1 Samuel and the Psalms that David writes when he's going through these times from 18 to 31. So if you have your Bible and you have your app, I'm going to use my app and we're going to go back and forth. So something that as you look at 1 Samuel 18, we're going to like summarize things today and you look at it, it goes into 1 Samuel 18 after he kills Goliath and some great things happen in David's life. One is you read about his friendship that develops with King Saul's son, Jonathan. And you see an amazing bond between them, an amazing friendship with them, and we'll see how that benefits David later. Saul doesn't let David return to his house in Bethlehem. He says, I want you to join my palace. So all of a sudden, David is elevated and is living with the king in the palace. And it says in verse 5 there that David becomes in charge of all the men of war. And it gets to that part where he becomes very successful. God, it says time and time again how David uh, and God prospers him in everything he does. And when he wins a lot of battles, they're coming back to the cities. And you hear this phrase that's mentioned a number of times where the women of the city are saying, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. Well, that begins, it's very flattering to David, and he's getting very popular in, in the nation of Israel, but that's what kind of sets King Saul off. Because all of a sudden, King Saul becomes very jealous, and you think by the time you get to verse 11, Saul tries to throw a spear and pin David against the wall and kill him. So all of a sudden, everything's going well, and you think about My worth can be very high when all those things are happening. I kill Goliath. I get this notoriety. I'm known all over. People are praising me. I get my best friends, the king's son. All these prosperous things happen. And you even see um, David ends up marrying King Saul's daughter, Michael. And I won't, King Saul made him do a dowry to be able to win his, I won't read that because there's kids in the room. But if you want to, as an adult, read that, what he had to do to win Michael's hand, you can read that. So all of a sudden, he's also married to the king's daughter. So all these good things are happening. But then all of a sudden, at the end of 18, things change. And you go into 1 Samuel 19, and Saul tells Jonathan and his servants to kill David. But Jonathan talks him out of it, and David returns to the palace But then again, you see another time that Saul tries to throw a spear and pin David against the wall. So Saul sends men to watch David's house in order to kill him. If you look at verses 9 and 10 in 1 Samuel 19, 19, um, so they're at his house to kill him. And if you turn over to Psalm 59, and I think we have some summary of this. You can see this. So turn to Psalm 59 and you see how David responds. So David writes this Psalm as there's people at his house ready to kill him. And some of the themes you see in here is you can see the enemies um, in verse one, 
uh, men of bloodshed, save me from the end. So you see a yearning out, a crying out for David to protect him. Look, he says, hey, there's an ambush in verse 3. They have set an ambush, ambush for my life. For no guilt of mine, in verse 4, they run and set themselves against me. But look how David, in all these psalms, what I want you to note is how all in these psalms he changes in the middle of the psalm. And he goes into verse 10. Look at verse 10. God will not, God will let me look triumphantly upon my foes. Look at verse 13. Destroy them in wrath. Destroy them. Verse 16, which I think is interesting in all these psalms. Look at what David says. But as for me, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness. So it's amazing. David's going through this. There's guys outside his house getting ready to come in and kill him. And he yearns and he cries out to God. But here is amazing themes all through this is he talks about God's loving kindness and he loves to sing and thank God. And then you see, he uses another word, verse 16, you'll see all through this, um, refuge. You see that word? And a refuge in the day of my distress. Again, verse 17, he's singing again. And then he uses a great word he'll use all the time because God is my stronghold. So what happens in this story, if you look in verse nine, or chapter 19, is Michael actually lets David out down the walls of, Jeru- of the city and lets him escape and helps him escape. And then the men come in, find out that David's not there. And David ends up having to flee for his life. So you see how God delivers him again, um, you know, again, where Saul's going after him. Then you kind of see David's on the run and you get to First Samuel 20 and you see David and Jonathan's uh, friendship and the vows they make to each other. And I think this is encouraging and, and good to see, you know, and, and David's talking to Jonathan. Jonathan goes back and tries to reason with his dad, um, King Saul. And, uh, you know, Saul actually turns and you can see he actually curses Jonathan out. And he ends up trying to throw a spear at Jonathan, tries to kill Jonathan. And many of you might be familiar with the story. Jonathan has to go back to David and the whole theme of I'm going to shoot an arrow And if I shoot it past where my servants are and say, go get the arrow, that means it's not safe for you to come back to the palace. And that happens. Jonathan sends the servant off and you see a great bond there between David and Jonathan and they weep and cry for each other because they know they won't have the same relationship they've had. So you see one of the points you got to take out of this is And many biblical scholars believe that David's on the run for 12 to 15 years of his life. Think about that. Things go so well, and it's 12 to 15 years that he's a renegade. And I think one good point you can take out of this related to Jonathan and David's friendship is Jonathan is an encouragement to David. When he needs encouragement, and I think for all of us, when we're going through tough times, we're, when we're going through our wilderness, how important it is to have community, godly community. And Jonathan is always there encouraging David. Jonathan says, I know you're going to be the next king, even though rightfully Jonathan should be the next king. 
But he encourages and says, hey, I know you're going to be the king and I'm going to be right by your side. So Jonathan, and I think one thing we can take from this, how important when you're going through tough, tough times and we see it in our culture, in our society today, that we try to seclude ourselves. And you can see how David time and time again goes back and says, I need community. And one of them is Jonathan, who's an encouragement to him all the time. So you see that in chapter 20, and you can see how important it is. And David, from that time in 1 Samuel 20, never returns to the palace, never gets back there. Then if you go into 1 Samuel 21, you see that David goes to the priest Abimelech, and he kind of says a little lie that says, hey, I'm on a special trip or special mission for King Saul when he was actually fleeing from Saul. And he's famished with the guys that are traveling with him, and he asked to eat the consecrated bread. I was reading through the Gospel of Luke this, this week with some of my buddies, and this was one story, if you remember, Jesus says, hey, remember the time that David went in and ate, ate the consecrated bread? Well, this is the time. And then he also says, do you have any weapons around here? So Abimelech gives him the consecrated bread, and he actually has Goliath's sword that David killed killed uh, Goliath with in, in 17. And he gives those to David. And it's noted that there's a guy, Doeg, that's not, is a foreigner that's there and he sees all this. And then it says in 21 that he actually goes to Achish in the city of Gath, the king Achish in the city of Gath. Does anybody remember when we were talking last time where, what the significance of the city of Gath is? Who said that? Yeah, it's actually Goliath's hometown. So David actually goes to a Philistine town, to Gath, and he's, and he's asking to be, because he knows Saul won't go after him there. And he goes to that city, and it actually says, it's interesting, he acts, acts like he's lost his mind in order for King Achish to, to let him stay there. So again, you see time and time again, if you look over in Psalm 56, you can see that David, again, cries out to God. And you can see some of the things that he says in 56. For man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in thee. See how he transitions in these Psalms? What can mere man do to me? All day long, they distort my words. How many times have you had that in your life? They have waited to take my life. This is an interesting. Put my tears in thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? So it's a definite theme there that David's still reading God's word. He's still reading his books and he's crying and weeping because all the stuff he's going through. He says, put them in a bottle. In other words, put them in a wineskin and keep them for me because how important it is to remember where we have come from. And then he makes a great statement, but God is for me. And here you go again. In the Lord I praise, in the Lord I will put my trust, I will render thank offerings to thee. Thou hast delivered my soul from death. Hasn't happened yet, but here you see the transition of all of these psalms that David does. So then we go into 1 Samuel 22, and David flees to a cave. It's interesting, his brothers and his household come to encourage him, and it's got to believe that they end up joining 
um, joining uh, uh, David, and he creates this band of brothers. If you have your Bible and you're looking at 1 Samuel 22, it's interesting to see the band of brothers. There's about 400 men that join him and their families. But it looks at, looks at who um, really those band of brothers are. It says everyone was in distress, in debt, discontented. And it's who ends up following David. And you got to believe some of his family members. Cool thing about David, and it's a good principle for us all, is he t- sends his mom and dad. You know, he doesn't trust Saul, and he thinks Saul's going to go after my family. And he sends his mom and dad to a King Moab and say, hey, can you take care of my parents while I'm going through this? Because I know Saul may go after them. Great principle of taking care of your mom and dad. You know what I mean? And you see David's integrity in doing that. Um, And then you see, you know, David again returning to his stronghold in verse 4. And then again, the godly influences around David that he keeps in verse 5. It says he has the prophet Gad that's directing him, saying, uh, leave your stronghold, go here. And in the meantime, Saul is assembling a huge army to go after David. And Doag actually is in this meeting, and he actually tells them about Abimelech. Tells them about, hey, Abimelech gave these guys food, and he gave them Goliath's sword. One of the saddest stories in Scripture is you read that, and Saul goes and calls Abimelech to, to, and the priest to be with him, and he commands his whole army to kill all the priests and their families. And none of the army would do that. But Doag's there, a foreigner, and he kills 85 priests and their family just because they helped David. So it's just one of those, you know, times where, you know, you look at, and David writes Psalm 52 after that happens, and he says, Doeg, your time is going to come. You can look at reading that psalm, and it says, hey, your time is going to come because your evil, the evil that you've done, God will have vengeance. And then you go into 1 Samuel 23, and David flees into the wilderness and he writes Psalm 63. He's running for his life again. And you can, you, can kind of, um, you can kind of relate to this with being in Texas in June, July, and August. But he's in the wilderness, and you see some of the things he writes here. My soul thirsts for thee. Again, but he says in verse 3, My, your loving kindness. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Here he goes again, transitioning with what's going on in his life, and he's in the wilderness in a horrible situation, and he transitioned. My mouth offers praise with joyful lips, but those that seek my life will go into the depths of the earth. He's saying, I believe, God, you're going to deliver me. Again, David uses the Psalms to maintain his faith and so forth. So then we go in, and um, Saul begins to pursue. David's in the wilderness of Ziph, and there's people that live there called the Ziphites, and he actually, uh, Saul makes an alliance with the Ziphites, and they surround David. And look at uh, chapter 54 and how David responds. He's completely surrounded by Saul, army, and the Ziphites, and he says, Save me, O God, by thy name. Hear my prayer, O God, for strangers, there's the Ziphites, 
have risen against me and violent men have sought after my life. Here we go again. He transitions, but God is my helper. He will recompense the evil to my foes. Destroy them, here's this word again, in thy faithfulness. I will give thanks. Here's this word again. He has delivered me from all trouble. Again, no matter what he's going through, you know, he cries out to God, but then he transitions to knowing what's true and that God will deliver him. Then you keep reading at the bottom there, Saul, surrounding David, gets a call that the Philistines just invaded Judah. And Saul has to leave his army, take his army and fight the Philistines out of their country. So again, God delivers him again. Then we come into Saul, comes back again with 3,000 men men in chapter 24, and again is pursuing David. And let's show little two videos. I want to show you two videos of how David has the opportunity to kill Saul, yet doesn't do that. And watch watch this first video of this one. David spares Saul twice from 1 Samuel 24 and 26. King Saul had been chasing David throughout the land of Israel. When Saul heard David was hiding in the wilderness called En Gedi, he took 3,000 men and went there. One day Saul went inside a cave not knowing that David and his men were hiding in the back of the same cave. This is it, David's men whispered to him. This is the day God meant when he said he would deliver your enemies into your hands. David sneaked over to where Saul was and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Immediately he felt guilty. Why did I do that, David said to his men. God forbid that I do this to the king, to the Lord's anointed. David held back his men, not allowing them to attack Saul as they watched the king leave the cave. David followed Saul out of the cave and called, My Lord the King. Saul turned and saw David bowing. Why do you listen to people who say I want to harm you? David asked. Today God put you into my hands and some urged me to kill you, but I said, I will not lay a hand on the king because he is the Lord's anointed. See the corner of your robe in my hand? I could have killed you. I'm not against you, yet you hunt me to take my life. I will not raise my hand against you. Is that your voice, David? Saul began to weep. You are a better man than I am. You have been good to me, but I have done evil to you. May God reward you with good for the way you have treated me today. I know you will be king someday. Promise me that you won't kill my family. So David promised, and Saul went home. But David continued to hide in the wilderness. What a great story. You ever wonder, it actually says that King Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. So he actually went to the bathroom. You always wonder, how in the world did David sneak up with him and cut his robe off when he's in the bathroom, or, you know, in a cave? But he did it. Um, but it's a cool story. David actually feels guilty, feels bad that he actually cuts the robe off of God's anointed king. Um, and then you see the story where, you know, David, after King Saul, king Saul is far enough away, says, hey, I have your robe here. I could have killed you. And um, again, he was not going to lift his na- hand against God's anointed. And, and so, um, again, 
he cuts, he, he, um, you know, it says Saul repents and goes home, and David returns again to his stronghold. He uses that word again. And then again, he, Psalm 57 is what David writes after this, and you can see some of his, here he goes, my soul takes refuge in thee, I will cry to God most high, he will send from heaven and save me. David likes to use this phrase too, my soul is among the lions, they have dug a pit for me, but they have fallen into it. But my heart is steadfast. I will sing. Here he goes again. I will sing praises. I will give thanks. Be exalted above the heavens. After all this has happened, um, he writes that psalm again. Then you transition into 1 Samuel 25. You know, it's there the great prophet Samuel dies. And because David's on the run, he can't participate in any of the in the, any of the uh, services related to, you know, honoring Samuel. And Samuel was very close, you know, was very dear to David. That's where he first went when he was on the run. He went to Samuel's house and stayed there. So you see that. And then 25, it also gives you a story about David um, taking a wife named Abigail and becomes his wife. He, she ends up being a widow, and David takes him in. It also says there, that while David's a renegade, you know, he loves Michael that is back in, in the city, in the palace, and Saul gives his wife Michael to another man. So think about that. That's another thing David's dealing with through this whole 12 to 15 years. His, his father-in-law gives his wife to somebody else, but he, but he finds Michael and ends up marrying Michael. Then you jump to 1 Samuel 26, and here's the second time that, again, Saul comes back. Even though he said, I'm, I'm done, I won't pursue you anymore, he comes back again. He takes 3,000 men, and he begins to pursue David. And watch this video as it talks about the second time that David has the opportunity to kill Saul. One day some people told Saul, did you know that David is hiding in the wilderness of Ziph? Saul set out again to find David. In the evening, he set up camp for the night. When David heard that Saul had come to the wilderness, he sent spies to confirm Saul's arrival. Arriving at Saul's camp, David could see Saul and Abner, his general, sleeping. They were safely encircled by the army. Who will come with me into Saul's camp? David whispered to his soldiers. I will go with you, replied Abishai. David and Abishai quietly sneaked into Saul's camp. The soldiers, who should have been protecting the king, were sleeping. In the center of camp, they found Saul fast asleep with his spear stuck in the ground beside him. God has given you your enemy's life, Abishai told David. Let me kill Saul with his own spear. Don't touch him, David responded. No one can harm the Lord's anointed and be sinless. God controls when Saul will die. I refuse to harm him. Grab his spear and water jug and let's go. God had kept everyone asleep. Once David was safely on the opposite hilltop, he shouted across to the army and to Abner, the general. Aren't you going to answer me, Abner? David called. Abner replied, Who are you to call to the king? Aren't you supposed to be guarding King Saul? David called again. You're not doing a good job. Someone sneaked into the camp. Look what I have, the water jug and spear that were beside the king himself. Saul had recognized David's voice and called, Is that you, David? It is, David replied. 
Why are you chasing me again? What have I done? If God has told you to pursue me, then I gladly forfeit my life. But if men have told you to hunt me down, then may God curse them. I have been driven from my rightful place because the king of Israel hunts me like a man hunting a bird. Then Saul said, I have sinned against you, David. I promise not to chase you anymore because you considered my life to be valuable. Send a young man to claim your spear, David answered. I had the opportunity to kill you, but I chose not to. Just as I valued your life today, so may God value my life in my time of trouble. Then Saul blessed David. All right. Great story, isn't it? I mean, you think about, um, you know, King Saul, and he has 3,000 men with his commander of his army, Abner, all sleeping around him. And David has the idea and asks for volunteers and Abishai is the one that says, I'll go with you. And they tiptoe through the whole army and come upon Saul. And Abishai says, hey, there's no better way God has set this up on the tee for you to kill. And he said, don't you do it. I'll do it. I'll kill him. And David said, no, we are not going to raise our, our hand against God's anointed. And so they just grab his water jug, King Saul's water jug and his spear and go to the other side of the mountain. When they wake up the next morning, again, David confronts Saul saying, why are you running after me? I had the opportunity to kill you, but I didn't. And again, you see Saul repenting, going back to his palace, David again, staying in his stronghold. And I think one of the best Psalms, and I'll ask you actually to turn in your phone to it is Psalms 13. Because after, you know, 12 to 15 years of doing this, David, um, it's a classic song, psalm that David writes. Because he asks this phrase, how long four times in this chapter? How long will the Lord forget me? How long will your face, will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? So David gets to a point where he's like, what's going on, God? I was anointed the king. I killed Goliath. I have all this success. And now the last 12 to 15 years, I'm running for my life. And he is honest with God and says, how long? But then he talks about, and he says, enlighten my eyes. Let me see what you're trying to do. And he talks about, lest I sleep the sleep of death. But here we go. In this same chapter, it says, but I have trust in thy, here's that word again, loving kindness. And again, he says, I'm going to sing for the Lord. Here we go again, has dealt bountifully with me. So one of the lowest things, and you think about this in your life, how many times have you said and going through stuff, you say, how long, God, how long? And yet David always comes back to a few principles. And you look at these principles that all these Psalms, as David is going through this, that there's some consistent themes that David always has in his life through the wilderness and through. You see it in his Psalms. He cries out to God. God doesn't, you know, God doesn't mind us questioning and talking to him as long as we maintain who we know God is, but he cries out to God. 
then you see these words all the time. Trust in God's loving kindness. And then you see him singing. It's an interesting principle when you're going through stuff that he comes back. He's always singing his praise, always giving thanks to God. And then he reinforces, hey, God has delivered me. And you see it when he defeated Goliath or talking about defeating. He's like, God has delivered me from the lions and the bears. God has delivered me from Goliath. Remember that time we were all surrounded and Saul had to leave to go fight. God has delivered me in the past. He goes back to God's faithfulness and he continues. And you see these consistent themes no matter what you're going through, no matter when you're going through the wilderness. So the rest of 1 Samuel, you kind of look at 1 Samuel 27. Actually, David gets so tired of being chased, he goes and lives in Gath in the Philistine city and asks King Achish, and he says there he lived there a year and four months. He actually lived in the Philistine city. A lot of the Philistines weren't happy about it. They wanted David, King Achish wanted David to go to war, go to a battle against Israel. And finally, the Philistines said, now, how can you trust this guy? And thankfully, David gets out of it. But then you go to chapter 20, which is an interesting story, that while they're away, they return to their home. David and his six, now it's grown to 600 men. They travel back to their home, and here, while they're gone, there's a country called the Amalekites that come in and take all their wives and their children and burns all their houses down. And actually says in that chapter that all the guys are saying, we're going to stone David. His leadership is not good. We're going to stone you. And thankfully, they didn't do that. They trusted in David. They went after the Malachites, and he sought, it's interesting, he seeks the priest's guidance on this. There's their godly men that are still around him. And they go and rescue, and they said not a one wife or child was lost. They get them all back. And they get on a great amount of spoils, which in that case was, um, you know, some gold and silver, but mainly herds of, and so forth. And a great principle there, David shares that with all of Israel. And you can see his generosity. Then you finally come down, back to 1 Samuel 31, the last chapter of this book. And Saul, in the battle with the Philistines, dies along with his two sons, one of them being Jonathan. And you see how David mourns for the anointed king, but also for Jonathan. And even then, as you get into 2 Samuel, you know, David becomes king of Israel, but he never really, there's a little bit of a civil war to take over the city of Judah, and there's years of civil war. So as we finish up this morning, one thing I want you to think about is all through this time from 1 Samuel 18 to 31, through these approximate 12 to 15 years, David lives in a, or as a renegade. You can see in the Psalms that he writes, he never loses his faith. He maintains his trust in God. Um, he just keeps getting up after he's been knocked down. You know, I, one of the things I, I like is I like to watch the NBA. I'm just an NBA fan, so I've been... I especially like Steph Curry, so I've been very happy that the Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors won the NBA title this year, so I'm very happy about that. Just recently, I think it was a week ago, I was watching, there's a new movie out on Disney called Rise, and it's about 
and I can barely say his name, Anakumba family. I, you know, Giannis is the main one, but there's actually four brothers that have made the NBA. Three of them have been on NBA championship teams. So there's a great part. I want to show this part in the, in the movie where they're in Greece and they've just, he's probably 14, 15 years old and just picked up a basketball and just watch this movie because there's a principle in it that this father keeps talking to his boys about. Watch this video. It's okay. We'll go again. Chin up, huh? That's why we fall. We fall to get back up. You know, it's a great principle. I don't know if you heard the dad say, um, we fall, but we get back up. And the principle of always um, never giving up, always uh, in their family. And one of the best things you ought to do is go out and listen. Um, Giannis ends up being the MVP of the NBA in 2019. Um, and listen to his acceptance speech. Because it does show in the movie, he came from a very um, Greek Orthodox background. You can see the faith in the family. And, and Giannis actually talks about it in his acceptance speech. Um, and so you see that principle of they being immigrants from Nigeria to, the, to Greece. And then the amazing chance for him to be drafted in the NBA and he gets drafted as an 18-year-old, then becomes the MVP, and then 2021, the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA title. And so the whole principle then, again, of no matter what, getting back up, no matter where you've been knocked down, you see that in David's life. I don't know for, about you, but um, this, um, even this past June for, for Jill and our family has been a crazy month. We start June off, we're in Colorado, we're loving it. The last day we're getting ready to go, we rent these electronic bikes. I didn't know there was such a thing, but they have bad, bad hydraulic brakes. So we're, get, we're about six hours away from getting on the plane, and I hit the brakes too hard, and I flip up over the handlebars. No helmet, dummy me. Um, and lack, good thing I had a lot of padding around me. Um, and I fall, and I get my arms down, but I'm all scratched up got a, a bruised rib and, and cut in my eye. I'm bleeding. So, you know, they all think I'm, you know, but, you know, so we start the month out that way. We get back. I tell them, you know, cool down. I don't have con- concussion. So I get back. We get back to Dallas. We come out of the 70 degree weather and it's 105 here. And we come back and our air condition isn't working. And we're like, oh no. So we have to, you know, get somebody in there to look at that. And then the next morning we're home, um, something happens with our pipes, and while I flush the toilet, the remains of the toilet starts coming through our shower. So I got to get a plunger, step in the middle of it, and, and then get a plumber out, find out it's out on the street. 
Then what else happened? Oh, then Jill's mom goes in the hospital. So we're trying to get over and see what she's, what's happening to her. Then, um, you know, all these things start happening. Our dishwasher goes in the blink and I'm still not fixed with it yet. Then I, last week I have a little fender bender. I kind of, it was my fault. I pull into the lane and clip my, this car coming by me. And I've had, especially my father-in-law say, what's going on with you guys? You know, what's happening? And, you know, you see that and you see through David's life. And and I don't know where you're at today, but a lot of us are going through a lot of stuff. We've been going through stuff for years here, I think, as a society. But it's amazing to see David's faith and his stability. That he always goes back. He, He... He's talking to God about it. He's still in his word. You can see he's weeping in his Bible. And yet he maintains his faith. He turns it and starts praising and singing to God. And then he comes back to saying, I know God's going to deliver me. Took him 12 to 15 years. Think about that. Anointed, kills Goliath. 12 to 15 years he's on the run and the stuff's happening. I'll just say it that way in his life, yet he maintains his walk with God. So I just want to encourage you today, get some good people around you. You got to have community. Don't seclude yourself. You're here today because you're not secluding yourself. Get community around you. Keep in God's word. You see that in David's life. Don't forget to praise and thank him and go back that he has delivered you in the past. He will deliver you now. Maybe not in our timing, but we can trust it in his timing. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father God, I, um, I do thank you for David's life, and we can understand that he felt a lot of worth, Lord, when he was on the high, when he kills Goliath and he's got notoriety, Lord, but we thank you that he maintained his worth in you even when he's running for his life. And oh, how can we can learn that in our culture and society today? That a lot of times things happen in our life, we don't understand them, Lord, but we can trust you. We can trust in your loving kindness, your faithfulness. We can trust in your word. We can trust in the victories and the past deliverances you have had in our lives and trust you for the future. So I just pray for anyone here. Maybe, Lord, here they don't have a relationship with you to go to. Man, that's to me, Lord, I, I just pray for anyone that doesn't have that relationship with you this morning that can cry out and you will be there to rescue them. Lord, I pray that you will move in their lives. They will accept you as their Lord and Savior this morning. And I pray for all of us that are following you, Lord, that we can remember Sometimes you allow things to happen in our lives to draw us closer to you. We pray that we'll put those principles of David in our, in our lives to be able to keep us, our faith strong. And we will watch and trust you for your timing in our deliverance. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.